I'm going to take you back to Dan, uh, start to say Danville. I'm going to take you back to Daniel, just one more trip, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll probably get the first chapter of Revelation in tonight. Uh, but I want to get you uh, acclimated to a few things so that we can uh, really uh, sink our teeth into Revelation and everything that, that Jesus said in the Gospels, and in the rest of the prophets as well. So we'll look at things like, um, uh, we briefly talked about the kings that are mentioned in Revelation and how all that plays out. But you got a handout in front of you, and we paid copyright fees for you to have that. <laughs> we try to do everything as, as right as we can. So uh, <clears throat> this is from a guy named Clarence Larkin. I told, some of you heard me say, if I had my Bible in one book, that would be it. If I could only have one book along with my Bible, this would be it. It's called Dispensational Truth. This guy was way ahead of his time. It's filled with charts and things and uh, interesting stuff he's done. He was an engineer. That's why all these charts, like the one you're looking at. But there's... Uh, many charts in this book. He talks about the book of Daniel. He talks about, uh, he's got a chart here on the book of Revelation, or, or I mean, excuse me, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, all kinds of charts. This is not a cheap book. Uh, I think I gave $27 for it like 40 years ago, but I think they're like 70 some dollars now. They're worth about 250 So if you buy one, or we can probably get you one if you want it. Uh, but its its value is, um, I, I don't think you can put a price on it. This guy was ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah, it's worth its worth the dough, ain't it? So uh, this chart you have in front of you kind of gives you the layout. If you want to go with me to Daniel chapter 2, this is where he sees this vision that uh, where you're looking at there in front of you. And um, the dream that he sees is this uh, uh, stature and uh, all that. And he's waiting on somebody to uh, give him the interpretation. And in verse 31 is where I want to take you. It says, uh, Daniel comes by and he says, I'm nobody special. I just got God on my side. And so that's why he was able to interpret the dream. You remember Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill everybody. Because they uh, couldn't interpret the dream. And so uh, Daniel goes and seeks God. And those are, those are man, we got to learn that, right? Whatever you're facing, stop and go seek God about it. I mean, that's what we've learned in First Samuel, right? In, the, in our Thursday study, David just kept checking with God about everything. So Daniel comes back and he says, uh, You, O king, were watching and behold a great image, that great image whose splendor was excellent. Now remember, the king had dreamed a dream that he knew was important, but he'd forgotten it. And so the soothsayer said, Well, tell us what you know and we'll fill in the gaps. You know, And he knew what they were doing. They were just trying to buy some time and get him to... But Daniel comes up with everything because he's heard from God, right? He, so he knows the dream, and he's also going to get interpreted. He says, uh, This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms uh, of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while the stone was cut uh, without hands, which struck the image on the feet of the iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Now, if you look at this image, and I'm not going to attempt to draw that up here. I'm not that kind of an artist. But if you'll turn that up to where you can look at him straight on there, we know what the kingdoms are. They're spelled out for you there. Babylon, Medo-Persia, and the Grecian Empire. I, I love to get visuals in front of you. That's why I use this board, because you'll, a lot of times you'll remember. A lot of, uh, uh, a lot of people know who Stickman is, right? Uh, all over this nation, people know who Stickman is. So, uh, Babylon, uh, Empire, the golden head, which is Nebuchadnezzar, the Medes and Persians, 
Then the, the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great, comes up. And, and, and there's another dream that gives more detail that we'll talk about later that talks about the, 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 the goat uh, that has the four horns because that represents Greece because Alexander's kingdom was split four ways. I mean, it's beautiful how God lays all this out. And now that we're in the end of time, we have the New Testament. We have everything Jesus and Paul said about the end of time and Peter. And now we got the book of Revelation. It helps us see how all this works together. Because if, you, if you've not already learned this, your Bible is its best interpreter. If you'll use your Bible, it will interpret itself. And uh, so then you go to the Roman Empire, this Iron Empire that's intact. Then we know that Rome split into west and east. And then we know that these feet are not fully iron, but they're iron and clay. This represents those ten toes, the ten kings in Revelation. We got this old Roman Empire coming back to life. We'll talk about those things. We'll talk about who Tubal is and, and different things about uh, what these nations that are called in the Bible, what, what their modern day name would be. And we got a lot of those, Rosh and Meshach and Gomer and all those places. We'll help, we'll define those uh, nations and those territories that, that we call them today, which will help you get a grasp of where all this is taking place. What's interesting about this, look at this last uh, line I read. It says, uh, And the stone that struck the image became great, and the mountain filled the whole earth. Uh, so there's a stone. Now let me back up in verse 34. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands. And we know who the stone is. He's the rock of offense, right? Jesus Christ. A stone that's cut out without hands, which struck the image on the feet. Now, why would it strike the image on the feet? Because that's the last empire. Now, the reason Daniel only saw these empires and he didn't see China like John did, he didn't see America or Russia per se like Ezekiel did, he, he was given the empires that Israel would deal with as a people group. So what happened after Rome came to life, they came in in A.D. 70 and ransacked Jerusalem and dispersed Israel all over the world, and Israel stopped existing as a nation. Now, their people were scattered everywhere. In fact, there are some theologians, and I can see where they're coming from, that believe... The Celts may have been Jewish people who went behind the Black Sea, lost their identity, and come back known as other people groups. And the reason they say that is if you go to England, 36 of the, if you go to Europe, excuse me, if you go to Europe, 36 of the 39 symbols that Israel used are found in Europe. Those people were scattered into different places. The chief of which is the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is England's chief symbol. So there's a lot of, lot of not coincidences that we see. So what God has done, and he talks about this, he talks about in the end of time how he'll whistle and his people will start coming back home. Now that's why we have this hourglass, because we know that that countdown began. Had to, it, you know, Obviously, Israel had to start going back home in 48, but then Jerusalem, and you know I've harped on that a lot. So the reason this rock that's hewn without hands, you know, they wanted Jesus to kill the Roman Empire when he was here the first time, right? The Jews wanted him to destroy it, but he, he wasn't here. He came in a compassionate, redemptive Messiah. But there's a day coming very soon where he's coming as a punitive Messiah. He will bring judgment on this earth. And on all those who've refused to follow him. So this stone does what? It crushes that last empire. The revival of the old Roman Empire. These other ones lived out their existence, right? But the ten kings, the ten toes, which are uh, <clears throat> representative of the old Roman Empire, but those are the ones that will be existing when Israel comes back to life. So here we are. 
Israel has come back to life. These old, old Roman empires coming back together. That's the one that the Antichrist will step into and try to rule the world. He'll control the world in large part. He'll start having trouble and we'll see all that. But we're living in the last days where this image, these ten toes, represent the same thing John's talking about in Revelation. And this is the, the loose conglomeration of the old Roman Empire. It will not have the same power and authority as the old Roman Empire because it's not just iron. It's iron mixed with clay. So there's going to be some dissension that will take place. There will be people who will turn on the Antichrist who are not Christians. Uh, you will see a lot of that as we do our study. So this rock, which represents Christ, we know the rock represents... He was the rock that followed them in the wilderness. He's the rock that Daniel's talking about here. He's the rock that he speaks of himself, right? And so this rock will destroy that last empire, will destroy the Antichrist, will cast... The, the Satan, the false prophet, and the false priest into the lake of fire. And Jesus will set up a kingdom that will have no end. He'll rule and all of sin will be put down. Now I've really stressed in Daniel chapter 9, uh, and we'll go there one more time, and then we'll go on into chapter 1 of Revelation. The reason there are no other empires here is because between Rome... And the revived Rome, which is the ten toes, Israel didn't exist. They've been brought back now as a nation. They're getting ready to deal with this old Roman Empire. It's, it's all coming together. So the stage is getting set. The, the time of the Gentiles is about to come to a close. And we're on the verge of the Lord coming back for His bride. If these things are being set up, how close is His appearing? How close is it for the bride to be getting picked up by her groom? That's where we're at. And we can't hide our heads in the sand. We, we've dug around in Thessalonians, and we'll be doing some more of that again as well. So you see, this, these are the nations that Israel has to deal with. And this will complete their history once this final conflict takes place. And Israel is, is working against this old Roman Empire. The revived Roman Empire is what he calls it here on this chart. Uh, once that takes place, then Antichrist, everything's coming to its close. And then, then the Lord will destroy this last empire. And the, the, the world will be set up under uh, his, there'll be a new heaven, new earth, you know all that. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9 before we go into the book of Revelation. In Daniel chapter 9, I want to just, I've worked on this three or four times already, but I want you to understand this is so important because there's so much bad teaching out there about the end of time. Uh, I told you about the 70 weeks, and we've described a lot of that, and we'll do some more of that in time. But here's why the book of Revelation has not happened. Why Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. He says, when this, when this comes to pass, in verse 24, he said, these 70 Shabuas or weeks are determined for your people. So he's talking to Daniel, who's a Jew. And for your holy city, which is Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, in other words, to complete it, and to anoint the most holy. None of those things have happened. None of that. All you got to do is turn on the news. You know sin's not, fin not stopped, right? Iniquity. We know Jesus has not been anointed the most holy. Every knee bow, every tongue confess. That day's coming. So there's plenty of iniquity to go around. Uh, everlasting righteousness has not taken over this place. It certainly hasn't taken over Washington, D.C. There's a lying spirit up there that's about to take over all of them. There's a few good folks left. So I just want you to understand when you run in and start hearing these people because they're getting more popular. And the reason they're getting more popular is it's two-sided. The world is, is 
consumed with uh, global warming. Now, I know they change the name because they, they keep changing. The world's always changing names because they want to get acceptance, right? So they've changed it to what they call it now, climate change? Yeah. It's just like uh, uh, adultery is now called an affair. You, you, they just keep trying to deaden the blow. But there's a part, the devil's working on both ends. He's working in the church, he's working in the world. Paul said that in Romans, when he talks about those people and how judgment's coming on them, he said they're going to love the creation more than the Creator. And that's where we're at. And, you know, they, they love creation more than the Creator. I got news for them. This world's going to be destroyed. It's just not going to be destroyed by us. And there's nothing we can do about it. We can't save the planet. This planet is on a one-way course to interact with its creator, and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Bottom line. And I don't care how many mountains you go on and hum till the roosters crow. It ain't changing a thing. It ain't going to change nothing. You, you can uh, get in the new age movement and hum till, you're, till you can't hum no more. That ain't changing a thing. And we don't have the authority to destroy this planet. We don't own it. God does. You are high on your horse if you think you can destroy God's planet. He's got the deed to all this. And He's got a plan for it, and it's going to go exactly the way He planned it. But the other side of that is, you got people in church in love with the world. I'm getting to where I hate this place more and more. But you got people in the church in love with the world. They, they want it to stay the status quo. So they're teaching things like, Jesus ain't coming back to destroy, He's going to come back. And there are people who teach kingdom now theology, and that's the big thing where we're going to fix this place and Jesus is going to come home to a nice place. Well, we're doing a heck of a job, aren't we? It's getting better every day. That, 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 and that theology is inside the church. So the devil's doing a good job out there. He's got half the world scared to death that global warming is going to run everybody out. Then he's got half the people in the church in love with the world, right? So they don't want to see any, any judgment, right? But if you read where God uses the word judgment, many times judgment and righteousness are used in the same verse. God cannot be righteous if He does not judge sin. Now here's the good news. He judged everyone's sin, not just ours in this building or those who are watching, but He judged the whole world, everybody that's ever been born or ever will be born. He judged all of their sin in His own Son by nailing Him to a tree. If you and I miss that, we missed everything. You don't have to pay for your sins. Jesus already did. But if you don't believe on Him and accept Him as the only begotten Son of God who died in your place and mine, who went to the grave for three days and rose from the dead and He's coming back and there's going to be a resurrection as sure as there's death. He's coming back for all of us. If you don't accept that, then you and I, whoever does not accept Jesus on those terms, will have to stand in judgment for their own sin. That'll be a bad day. That'll be far worse than global warming or anything else like that. That'll be a bad day. So we got people on both sides of the, in the church and outside the church trying to manipulate people in ways that get everything watered down and make us... And here's what's sad about that. The church, a lot of folks in the church are going at it from a different angle with this Kingdom Now stuff. And the world's going to... And you know what they're saying? They're basically all saying, we have the power to control this situation. They're both coming to the, to the same conclusion. This world is not getting better. It's getting worse. I mean, it is insane what's happening in many of our cities in this nation. It's insane. And, and so we need our Savior. We need His righteousness. We need His love. We need His truth. We need all of that. 
And we can't do any of this without Him. We've, the world certainly don't understand this, and half the church world has forgotten this. With Christ we can do all things, but there's another verse that balances that out. Without Him, we can't do anything. Anything of eternal value. And that's the deception that both of these trends, they're coming at different angles, but they're basically saying we have the power to control this. We have the power to keep the world from being extinguished. We don't. And we have the power to fix this place so Jesus can come back to a nice place when He gets here. And that's just not going to happen. That's not how the Bible teaches it, and that's not how, we're, how it's set up. Let's go to Revelation Chapter 1, now let me show you something here. So we, when we get, before you get over there, we've got, um, before time, and I'll explain this as best I can, then we got uh, the man and his timetable. Then we got a thousand years of rain, and then we go back into eternity. Now, this was eternity as well. So God, somewhere out there in eternity, decided to make man, and He gave us time. Now, I've, I've drawn this before. This is the best I can do. That God sits atop of the circle, and we'll call this circle eternity, and He can see all the way around the circle. That makes Him God. Somewhere in eternity, He created man and time, and then out here, He's going to stop time, and everything will go back into eternity. Now, you know, we got all these methods of dating the earth. And my argument is not that things weren't going on before Adam because God's always been around, right? He's eternal. But my argument for those people who try to date everything and say it's 8 million years old or whatever, when you go back behind Adam, you go into eternity. So there, there are no revolutions. I'm wearing a watch here that has revolutions, right? So we gauge time with that. When you're God, you live outside of time. You live in eternity. So there's no revolutions back here. You can't date things in eternity because they don't have revolution. You know there's going to be no more night, right? When we get out here back into this time, there's going to be no more night. Uh, so we're, not going to, we're going back into eternity where people don't age. They don't have revolutions. They stay the same. And so we have, we have eternal life. Think about that for a minute. You're going to have eternal life. You're not going to have to, once we leave this life, you're not going to have to go to the funeral home and make any arrangements. Think about that. Think about living forever. That's hard to wrap your mind around because death is such a real thing in our culture, right? In, in humankind. So... God's given us this space of time, where, and so he, he lives outside of time. That's why He can call the end out here from the beginning. He set up time for us. God, God doesn't use time the way we would. And so we got these revolutions, and uh, they attribute some of this to Enoch. He, he says the, reasons that the reason God gave us time and seasons if, uh, if he's the one that wrote this, they say that he, God gave us times and seasons so we could estimate our life. And we could understand that there is a finality in this life. And that we wouldn't be so uh, lackadaisical about our relationship with God. <clears throat> because we know that things can change, right? And seasons come and go. <clears throat> so God is bringing us to an expected end. This is all His plan. This works out on sevens. He loves the number seven as you're seeing. So God, before He created Adam, or Adam, is how you would say it in the Hebrew, He creates Adam. He institutes time. gives us night and day. The, morning, the evening and the morning were the first day. So He starts this revolution with these two lights He hangs out in the 
out in the atmosphere, the sun and the moon. And he's created all this stuff. I mean, God's brilliant. And he's created all this stuff and brings us into this time. And now God is going to, he's offered us to come into that eternity where he lives. That's a pretty awesome thought. And to think how merciful God is giving us chance after chance and being long-suffering toward us that we would have the opportunity to live forever with Him. So I say this to people, you know, you feel like God keeps working on you. Well, if you were God and you were going to have to live forever with you, what would you be doing? <laughs> right? Just look in the mirror and, and say, oh, okay, right, I get it. See, God, God, God's bringing us into His presence forever. What would you be doing? And, and I, I, I want you to think about this. Now's the time to praise Him. Now's the time to lift Him up. Now's the time to glorify Him. It'll be easy on the other side, right? Won't be no opposition. Right now is when we ought to be praising. Right now is when we should be lifting Him up. Let's be the people that he can count on. I want to be the people that if God looks around for somebody and can't find, anybody, can't find anyone, I, I want him to be able to say, well, let's, let's go back down there to uh, live in water. Basilea said, they'll do whatever we ask them to do. That's the kind of people I want us to be known as. I want to be known as that. Let's, let's go down there and give it to them. They'll do it. They'll do whatever we ask them to do. Let's go to the book of Revelation. That's where we're supposed to be in for the last four weeks, right? <laughs> so now that you know, you've been reestablished in the fact that uh, um, the book of Revelation is not over. It gives us some history lessons. There's no question about that. All the Bible does that, but it gives us a lot of information about things to come. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Are you a servant? All right. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified by his angel, his, son John, his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Markarios is the Greek word here, same word that's used in the Beatitudes. It means recipient of divine favor. So you can be a recipient of divine favor if you read and hear these, this prophecy, the words of these prophecies. How many people have you run into over the years? I've run into preachers this way. I don't want to get in the book of Revelation. I don't want to get in, I don't get in there. I've, I've even heard preachers say that, yeah. But there's a blessing. They're missing out on being a recipient of divine favor, right? You can be a, by reading, by hearing, uh, and keeping the things which are written. So we want to be recipients of divine favor, right? Well, I do, Lord. I know the rest of them said anything, but I, we want to be a recipient of divine favor. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is who is and who was and who is to come. Now, there's another key, right? He's given us some information. Grace and peace uh, from Him, capitalized, who is and who was and who is to come. So He's going to come again. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the one... Now, there were other people raised from the dead, but they weren't raised from dead to eternal life the way he was from and they uh, he was the first fruits to that and he says uh, faithful witness firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth so no ruler not in America not in Russia has any level of jurisdiction apart from God in other words God does allow them to do certain things but they can't do anything outside of the boundaries that he set up to him who loved us, listen to what he says to, about the Lord. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
Now, I like, the re- I like that Revelation starts off with that. I like that Revelation starts off with the fact that it reminds us of salvation. Because the rest of this book is futile if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The rest of this is futile. And so God is offering us a new, uh, or excuse me, a reminder of why all this stuff is possible, right? Because Jesus, Jesus is the one who loved us, washed us. And here's what I, I say to people a lot of times when they're concerned about a lost loved one or a situation. I, I always remind them, Jesus loves that person more than you do. I, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. And you may be the greatest mom that ever walked the planet or the greatest dad that ever walked the planet, but you don't love those people, your children, grandchildren, your whatever's friends, you don't love them more than Jesus did. He loves them more than you do. And Jesus is wanting, it's not His will that any would perish, according to Peter but that all would come under repentance. So Jesus Christ loves people more than you and I do. He cares about them more than we do. It's arrogant and haughty to think you love or care about somebody more than God does. That's arrogance and haughtiness. The Bible says that Jeremiah, God knew him before he formed him in his womb. The Bible said that the Bible called Cyrus by name around 500 years before he was born. God knows everybody. He dispatched his people into families the way he sees fit. Now, what if your spirit had been given to a different family? Think about it. Your parents are given the ability to help create your genetic makeup, but God is the one that gives life. So your spirit came from God. My spirit came from God. And God chooses where He sends those spirits. He is far more involved in this. This is not a casual thing. It's not a superficial thing. It's not a haphazard thing. It's not something by chance. God is in charge of everything. Can you say amen? So He saved us from our sins with His own blood has made us kings and priests to His God. Because of His work in our lives, He's made us kings and priests, little k, little p, kings and priests, to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we're under the authority of God. You know, God got so fed up with the priesthood because they got so corrupt, He whittled it down in the book of Ezekiel to the sons of Zadok. He said, I don't want no more priests coming in here except the sons of Zadok. They're the only ones that haven't went the way of the world, basically. He said, I'll allow the sons of Zadok to come in and minister to me. The rest of the priests keep them out because he'd been fed up. And that's what cost some of those guys, Eli, that cost him. He wouldn't take care of his sons. He wouldn't discipline his sons. And so his sons were out on the temple steps doing all kinds of illicit stuff. And, and mistreating the people and all kinds of things. And he wouldn't deal with it. And so God took him out because he wouldn't deal with it. And, and God said, I only want the sons of Zadok. So when you and I have been made kings and priests unto the Lord, we ought to take that seriously. We ought to take it seriously that Jesus Christ, through His blood and through His sacrifice, has made us kings and priests unto God. And this shouldn't be something we get haughty about because they're, like I said, it's a little K and a little P. Alright? But he still, we are called to be servants and to minister unto the Lord. We need to learn how to minister unto God in our private time and corporately. That's why we come to church. We don't come to church to get. We come to church to give. To give of ourselves, to give to the, back to the Lord. In that process, you'll never... How many found this out? You're never going to outgive God in anything. Mercy, grace, money. It doesn't matter what it is. You, are, you and I are never going to outgive God. But our attitude 
should be coming and how can we minister unto the Lord. All right? But we, we got this culture in our country that we've set up so much handout in our world, and it's gotten worse over the last two and a half years, right? The just, government's just kept handing out and handing out and handing out. We get this whole mentality and bring it to the Lord. What if we come to serve the Lord? What if we come to serve instead of being served? I, I know preachers that would have never done what Jesus did. After His resurrection, He's out there fixing breakfast for His boys. After the resurrection. Not before. After He's been back from the grave where He should have been picked up on staves and His feet should have never hit the ground again. That's at least how we should have felt, felt about it. You know, when I look at the prodigal, he come home exactly like he should have. He come home humbled and ready to be a servant. That's exactly how he should have come home. He should have come home the way he did. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I just want to be a servant. But his dad, of course, wasn't having none of that, right? His father was... uh, But he came home in humility, not haughtiness, not blaming the family and not blaming... We know we make decisions that help move our life down a path. And this prodigal came to himself. The Bible said he came to himself. I, I need to come to myself pretty regular. Because the flesh thinks he gets stuff done, don't he? I mean, you, that's, how he, that's how he lives. We need to remind ourselves that it's because of the Lord that we have whatever we have in our lives, that we get used in any kind of capacity, whatever capacity he uses. It's not our cleverness. It's not our years of service. And it's not how good we are at something. You know what I think impresses God more than anything else? Endurance. I believe that impresses God more than anything else. Notice how much the New Testament talks about endurance. Listen, I don't need to get on no high horse. God can use a donkey to do what I'm doing. And anybody that thinks they're talented at something, you don't need to get on your high horse either. God can use rocks to sing if He chooses to. And He's got roosters to announce His his stuff. He's got whales that can carry people and spit them out exactly where he wants, or great fish, I should say, who can travel, uh, take them and spit them out exactly where God wants them. So God's in charge. He can do anything. He don't need us. We need Him. But He loves us and He wants us. He's just like, we're just like that little newborn baby. What good is a newborn baby? They can't mow grass. They can't take the trash out. They can't even change their own diaper. That'd be nice. Right? They don't do anything to help the family go around, do they? But they bring us pleasure. You know what the Bible says about us? It says we bring the Lord pleasure. We bring Him pleasure. We don't add anything to the Lord. I, I, I used to probably would have went along with this 30 years ago. Somebody said, well, the Lord saved that movie star so he could, because he's all up behind. He could. No, he didn't. He saved that movie star because he loved him. He set his love on him. That's what he did. He, he loved him. And so we don't add something to God. He adds to us. And he's proven over and over. And when they tried to get those people to shut up, he said, if these people stop uh, praising me, he said, these rocks are going to start crying out. It's coming from somewhere. Right? And so God, we, we got to get make sure we stay humble and realize we need him. God's going to be God whether we show up or not. But it's, it's us that needs him. Now, he goes on to say, he says, Behold, he is coming. Um, with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Uh, and all the uh, tribes and earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Now, why would he say these things are shortly coming to pass? Well, if you, if you understand the timeline, and I'm going to put this in, in our way of thinking, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if you use the number seven and understand the timeline, then when Jesus came, 
He came on Friday morning. Right? A thousand years is a day, a day is as a thousand years. Then we've got this thousand year period out here, which is a time of rest or peace, right? That seventh thousand year period. You know the number seven is the one God ceased from His labor on the seventh. So basically, Jesus was here on Friday and we're on Saturday. We're on Saturday night. So if you think about it in these terms, if you make it to Friday, let we all have the same mentality, right? The week's over. We're going to rest on Sunday and Saturday. We're, the week's about over. So if you think of it in those terms, Jesus came on Friday morning. John's writing here sometime on Friday morning. And Saturday's really the next day, all that you got left besides the day you're in when they wrote these things. So now think about that in terms of where we're at. We're living on Saturday night. We're right here at the verge of the return of the Lord. And that's an exciting time. And then he says, Behold, he's come with the clouds. Everybody's going to see him. The tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And he'll talk more about that in this book. I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, and the Almighty. So this is in red. This is quoting Jesus' own words here. So he's saying, I'm the front and the back, and so you need to come to me and trust me. Then John says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, or the endurance, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some church history that says the reason he wound up there was because they tried to kill John by throwing him in oil, and he didn't die, and so they just banned him to the Isle of Patmos. So most of the disciples were martyred. And one of the things uh, about John, if, if God spared him in that way, that's, a, that's encouraging to all of us. You're not, if God's not through with you, you're not leaving here. That, that should be comforting to all of us. If God's not through with you, you're not leaving here. And John seems to be a picture of that. So he's on the Isle of Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he's here to give us the things of Christ. All right? He says, uh, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day... And I heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Once again, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia and Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And we're going to look at all those churches starting next week. He's sending it out to seven churches, completion. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, wool and white as snow, as white as snow. And his eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me... Now notice this. Is this the fourth time? Do not be afraid. I am the first... And the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That's the fourth time in what? Uh, 18 verses he stressed that. And why would he do that? Why would he keep stressing that he's the first and the last? And he says some other things there about being dead and alive. But why would he keep stressing that? It's to let us know. He is in charge. 
He, he, the, nothing escapes His jurisdiction. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. Everything in the universe is under the jurisdiction of God. And even if you and I feel like God is, is not doing what He should at times, or we think He should maybe judge this or fix that or whatever, none of that stuff is escaping His jurisdiction. If any world leader does something, then they can't do any of that outside of the jurisdiction of God. And what we see a lot of is the fallout of sin. There is so much sin, and that's the total opposite of who God is. We see the fallout of sin. And it's getting worse. It's not getting better. So that right there should open these people's eyes up who are believing lies about uh, the end of times already come and gone. We, we, we are living in a time that's getting progressively worse as far as sin and the fallout from that sin. We, we, we are proposing, if you could go down, and I'm doing a study on this right now, if we could look at the things in the last 60 years that this country has legislated against God's Word and compare it to what Israel did, it's going to blow our minds. They, they did the same thing. They kept walking away from God's Word and setting up their own laws and their own rules. And so Jesus is reminding us, I'm the one that's in charge. I'm going to say this before I close. You may want to impress people. You may care about what other people think. But there's one that you're going to have to do with, and that's the Lord. Every one of us are going to stand before the Lord someday and give an account of ourselves. That should be the foremost thing that's on our minds and hearts. Not what everybody else thinks about us. Not what this person or that person that we want to find favor with and, and, and try to get them on our side. You and I are going to stand before the Lord, every single one of us, without anybody else, we're going to stand before Him. And we're going to give an account of ourselves. And I know many of you and maybe all of you are saved and ready to meet Jesus. I'm not talking, but we don't want to be jiving either. Can I use that word? Did I just tell on myself? Don't be jiving with the Lord, right? Don't be jiving around with the Lord. Be serious about your relationship with God. Listen to His voice. Spend time. Go talk to Him. Let Him speak into you. Let Him give you some instruction. Let Him lead your path and direct your feet. He's in love with you. He died for you. Nobody has laid their life down for you like Jesus Christ has. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. And so Jesus Christ is wanting us to remember, this is the biggest thing you ought to think about. He's the one that we should please. He's the one that we should seek to understand and know His ways. That should be the first thing in our lives. We should seek to know who Jesus is. We should seek to know what His Word says. And we should seek to follow in His footsteps. He's the only judge. Nobody else is going to be over on the other side judging you and I. Not your enemies. Not your mom who would say, let him in anyhow. Right, right. <laughs> Jesus, right? Jesus is the one that we have to do with. So we should focus on that relationship more than any other relationship. And when I, let me just preach a minute here, okay? When I do that, when I make Jesus the center, when I make sure that He's my number one focus, then guess what happens to Matthew Robbins? I'm a better pastor. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend. Whatever. Uh, because you, we, when we focus and love Him first, my capacity in these other areas that I've been called to do or have a mantle for increases. I can't be a better pastor and not be focused on Jesus. It's not just about studying and getting smart, whatever that is. It's about knowing Him and being led by the Holy Spirit. My family benefits when their daddy is led by the Holy Spirit. My wife benefits when her husband is being led by the Holy Spirit. 
And when my focus is on Jesus and my love is centered on Him, then I have a greater capacity to be a better brother to you, to be a better pastor to you, to be a better whatever God's given me to do in my life. If my focus is on Him, the world has messed all of that up. They say, go chase this and be good at that, and then the world will love you. Well, who cares if the world loves you? They're not going to judge you someday. And when you're done and you can't go anymore, they'll cast you out to the wayside and pick up somebody else. But that's not who Jesus is. I, I, I joked about this a little bit, but one, the, the thing that would have cost me my job in Amarillo, Texas, was not having heart surgery. It would have been if I'd bit my tongue off. I about bit my tongue off. It took 11 days for my tongue to feel right. I must have a thick tongue, though, because I... I was chomping on that thing. It was sore. <laughs> but if I'd have lost my tongue, God would have loved me just as much without a tongue as he does with. My value to God is not because I do something for him. Like I said earlier, he could put a donkey in here. And some Sundays he does have one up here. When somebody preaches for him. No, I'm just kidding. So we, our va my value to God is being His son. Have you ever watched somebody who has a child that's born with issues, deficiencies? They love them. Our value to God is because we're his sons and daughters. That's our value to God. Amen. We'll get back in Revelation. We'll talk about these sevens, all these sevens we've been looking at tonight and try to explain some of that next week. Father, we thank you for this grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We love it, God. Revelations is just as exciting and fulfilling as any other book in the Bible. We just, we're so thankful you didn't leave us in the dark about the end of time, and they, this is designed to help us be more diligent about sharing our faith because we know there's going to be an end to all of this. We know that you are going to put a closure on all this. We know that this world can't go on the way it is, and so we, we're just looking for you, and we want to be used by you until you come after us, until you take us to that marriage supper in, the, in, in heaven. Lord, I pray that it will spur all of us, myself included, to be a more faithful witness to let people know that time's running out and that we need to turn to you. All of us need to turn to you. We bless your name. We give you all the praise. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.